Ladies and gentlemen, Graffiti Talk Radio. Because, you know, the prize never 
you know, we the prize never happened after we won the first prize. We never got a chance to go to New York. We never saw the record deal, but it also right. inspired us to like keep going. You know, if they can offer the record deals, then who else is going to offer? So we took off from there. You know, right. and that's how we got started. Right. So did y'all start putting out little demos at first? When y'all started getting your name out there? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, at, uh, after junior high, you know, we entered high school, and, you know, it, it grew to where it was just me and y'all, you know. Um, yeah, right. You know, the little cute kid, she kind of veered away from it. And it was me and y'all, and we used to, like, just stand on the corner on 6 and Barone, and we'll be, at, like, sitting on an abandoned porch, and we'll just be beating and, you know, making up rhymes and stuff like that. And we wasn't even old enough to go in the club. And one night, you know, we knew the DJ in this club that was called Newton's, you know, right. which is like a historical club that, that we put all through our albums and our songs also. And the DJ snuck us in, and, you know, he let us get the mic and, and, um, and rap one night. And just so happened, he recorded it. Wow. And he gave us a he gave us a copy of the tape, and let you know how long ago it was. I'm saying tape. He gave yeah. us a copy of a, he gave us a copy of the tape, and um you know week after week he would play that recording, and and we saw that everybody liked it. You know, and mind you, we still not old enough to go in the club. We just we just barely in ninth tenth grade or something like that, yeah. and um you know and uh we got the idea to go to uh, the local uh, K and B, which is now Rite Aid, but uh, we would go and buy packs of cassettes and and dub them and make yeah. copies, and we would uh you know have our big brothers ride us around, and we were selling them for five dollars. And before right. you know it, the whole city had our little tape. It was called uh another trick. I mean, can I curse on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the the name of the the name of our first song was Another Bitch. You know, which was me and yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk some more shit about another bitch, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, before you know it, the whole New Orleans was riding around bumping that, and, and somehow it got in the hands of uh, Baby and Slim. And they uh, summoned us to their office, and, you know, that's when we got with those guys right there. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah and so, they professionally uh, put it out. Yeah, so dealing with, uh, with Birdman and Slim, how was they personally and professionally from your point of view? Um, personally, they always took the father figure, big brother, you know, type of approach with us, you know, because none of us, you know, me or ya, really had that far. Well, my, my dad died when I was 12 years old, like right after yeah. we moved out of the project and on Six and Barone, my dad like lived for another year after that and then he passed. So I kind of grew up without my dad. And, yeah. you know, the same with, with, with yeah, his his pops was a little distant. You know, he had him around, but it was like a little distance for whatever reason. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, right. um, uh, you know, and the, so they kind of took the a father figure approach, big brother approach to us, would give us advice and try to always keep us with them to keep yeah. us out of trouble. And, and we would, you know, they'd keep us in the studio and have us recording and, after the uh, first single, another uh, another bitch, we immediately once we saw the success off of that, we immediately went in the studio and started recording our first album, which was called Six and Barone. And also, that's when Yellow was added to the to the um, to the group. Yeah, 
So, what was your take on Yellow Boy? Um, that was my best friend, you know, and, and actually, he uh, that I'm pretty much responsible for him coming in the group. You know, we all grew up together. Um, like I said, I grew up in the uh, Melfamine Project, and Yellow and Yah already had lived in the neighborhood uh, where Six and B was at. They lived, you know, in the blocks around that area. So mm-hmm. them two uh, really, really grew up together. You know, they knew each other before they knew me. So, you know, they always had that, that childhood, uh, you know, competition between each other. You know, they they would hang, play ball, and, you know, the next day they're fighting, the next day they're back playing ball. So, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, to be honest with you, you know, like I say, it was a childhood competition. And y'all didn't want him in the group in the beginning. And, um, you know, and me and Yellow was real close, so, you know, he kind of, like, blackmailed me in the group because at the time I had <laughs> jumped off the porch and was getting in trouble, and my mom's put me out. So I went right. and with Yellow and his mom, and he kind of blackmailed me. You know, he knew I, I needed a spot to lay my head, so he was like, man, tell your producer, <laughs> tell your producer, you know, you got a third wheel, you got a third wheel. And, and his tone was letting me know, you need to tell him you got a third wheel or you got to get out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So oh, he kind of blackmailed his way into the group, you know, and it, it actually turned out to be pretty good, but that's how he ended up in the group. If it was left up to Yah, he wouldn't have got in the group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so with that being said, uh, the way he had got into the group, okay, just say hindsight, if he if he didn't get into UNLV, would he still have been signed to Cash Money as a solo artist? Nah, he wouldn't have uh, never even knew. You know, they, ne- they didn't know nothing about him. You know, I brought him in and introduced him to him and actually sat him down at the table. He didn't even know how to rap. You know, Yellow was a, a church boy. You know, his yeah. mom, he's the only kid. His mom had him in church. And, you know, he was really a good kid and, you know, never did get off the porch until he got around us. And, um, you know, he used to play the drums in church, so he was also musically inclined, but he had no idea of what a 16 was or how to rap or how to put rhymes together. But he right. he saw the the stardom and the attention that we were getting, and he wanted that too. And I guess he couldn't just bear the fact that I'm going out and doing shows and in the club and then I would come back you know, by his house where I was staying at at the time, so he wanted the piece of that. So, yeah. you know, I literally set him down, and we talk about that in rap, you know, up in the front room, around a brown table, are you able, and that was real lyric. That's what made our yeah. group so unique because all of our songs were literally stuff that we really did. You know, it Word. wasn't nothing was fabricated or made up. So, wow, you know, yeah. I would set him down, you know, around the brown table and um, show him how to put minds together and, you know, the duration of a 16-bar verse or whatever and just teach him how to put a rhyme together. And that's how he started rapping. And, you know, he he wasn't a dumb kid at all. He was very smart. He'd catch on real fast. So once he really learned, he took off with it, you know, and I ain't really had to help him again. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah, so when y'all had signed the cash money, uh, uh, what order did y'all come in as because uh, Kilo G and Lil Slim was already signed to Cash Money, so what no, was the, uh, the only the only artist that they had when we got there 
was Kilo G. That was it. Oh, that was the okay. only artist that they were working with. Oh, okay. So y'all, so y'all, UNLV came in after Kilo G. Still came in after y'all. That's the only artist that they were working with at the time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So was you able to, to kick it with Kilo G? How was? Wait, it? say that one more time. Well, was you able to, to kick it with Kilo G? Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I got a chance to uh, work with Kilo on his second, uh, his first album was already out and being promoted, which was called Bloody City. And uh, once we got there, no, I'm lying. It's not Bloody City. I can't remember. Bloody City was his second album. The uh, Streetwalker, you said? Yeah. Streetwalker. Yeah, that was his very first project. And that was already done and being promoted when we got there. So um, once we got there, he started working on his second project, which was his last project. And, you know, he also started, um, you know, lending a helping hand, putting our uh, albums and stuff together. So, you know, we got a chance to build a relationship, become real good friends before he passed. But once, like I said, Kilo was there first, then we got there, and then um, PMW um, got signed. Lil Slim came along. A little bit after. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so, who who was DJ Ray? How how was he instrumental to y'all? Uh, DJ who? DJ Ray. Red. Yeah. Uh, DJ Ray was a a DJ out of our neighborhood who would uh actually that's the guy who uh, I'm telling you about that recorded our first you know recording in the club. That was DJ Ray. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, so how, how how was those times they cash money? Um, I guess you can say it was fun. I mean, coming from somebody, you know, who never had anything, you know, and, and you know, the most we ever did was, like I said, you know, we played in high school, the bands and stuff like that, played ball and stuff. So it, it gave us a chance to get out the neighborhood and, you know, eventually get out of the city and just start seeing things and doing things that we never did, that, that you know, that we couldn't dream of. You know, we had no idea how far that it, it would take us at that time. And, um, you know, at that time, we all was growing together, you know. Like I said, you know, they, they had Kilo G, and it was a, it was more like a West Coast album, that Sweetwalker or whatever. You know, it really wasn't a... Um, you know, it really didn't have that New Orleans sound to it, so it didn't do too well. But it, it just, it just, it kind of like established him as an artist and established the company. Okay, you know, it, it's a company they're putting out records professionally. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, you know, it uh, you know, we all started growing together. You know that and that part about it was real fun because we all started with nothing, and you know, we began to see stuff, you know, all together like. Like, our first recording was done in Manny Fresh's kitchen. <laughs> and we would be, we, me, Yah, and Yellow would be on milk crates in three separate corners of the kitchen with the microphone stretching to us. And, wow. you know, that's how we recorded Six and Barone. And once Dang. we recorded Six and Barone, you know, back then, 
you know, people really bought music, you know, at ten, fifteen dollars a pop. And, Word. you know, Six and Barone, we went on to sell thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand copies. So, you know, we instantly made the company, you know, hood rich. Yeah. And after the Six and Barone album, that enabled us to start working in professional studios. The next artist that came out, you know, got a chance to you know, record and not go through the struggle that we went through. You know, we kind of opened the door for them financially to to record their project more comfortably than what we had to do. Right. So, yes. Yeah. So with Six and Barone, when they when when y'all was selling that was was it selling out the trunk and that mom and pop stores? Oh yeah, definitely, man. I can remember the days of riding to uh, distributors and you know, dropping off, you know, cases of CDs and picking up, you know, whopping checks. You know, back then, you know, my business mind wasn't what it is now. You know, all I know is we picking up big-ass checks and, and dropping yeah. off a shitload of CDs. And, and I'm like, damn, you know, we, we making money. But, you know, you know how that goes, you know. It, yeah. it just was what it was. You know, they'll brush us up and, and, and bless us with a little something-something, and that was enough for us because, you know, like I said, we didn't have shit. They ain't, it ain't no shit. So, you know, yeah. you, you know at that age, you take us and buy us, like, you know, a, a nice little used car coming from somebody who caught the streetcar in the bus all the time. Shit, we were satisfied with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so when, when did y'all... Uh, meet Mystical and uh, when he came into the picture and everything happened the way it did. Well, uh, Mystical was always a uh, <clears throat> a childhood friend of ours. You know, we all we all met at uh, Walter L. Cohen. That was uh, where we met Mystical at at the Cohen High School. And you know, we was in the band and. You know, he was, uh, you know, like I said, our rhymes were really truthful. He really was on the cheerleading squad, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, and you know, we would clown each other. They'll rib us. We'll rib him, you know. But, you know, he wasn't gay or nothing like that, but we just still used to get at his ass for being a cheerleader, you know. But yeah, you know, right. he yep. wasn't gay or nothing like that. So I definitely want to put that out there. Even though I'm letting y'all know he was a cheerleader, but now nah, he, he still was <laughs> yeah, real yeah. nigga, you know what I'm saying? For sure, for right. sure, for sure. Yeah, and um, uh, so uh, when did when did the uh, so like throughout that first wave, you know, you also had uh, Pimp Daddy, and um, you had uh, Miss T. You know, a lot of you know, looking back, you know, a lot of these guys, a lot of these artists who was on Cash Money along with y'all, you know, a lot of them deceased now, you know, so looking back on that, how you feel about that? Do you ever think about that sometimes? Oh, yeah, man. I think about it a lot. Actually, I still have a relationship with Miss T, and I'm pretty sure if Pimp would have still been here, we would still have a relationship because we was real close. A lot of those guys, um, like I said, they followed in our footsteps and they kind of idolized us because they saw – the success that we had, and it, it inspired and wanted and made a lot of these cats want to come over to Cash Money Records because they like they know these three cats that's out the hood, and now they're traveling, 
state to state, city to city, doing shows, making money. Everybody know our name, everybody writing, playing our music. So it made other people want to come to Cash Money, you know. And a lot of these cats we brought over there, you know, to Cash Money. You know, a lot of people don't know, you know, uh, Lil Yah brought Juvenile over to Cash Money. We we, we used to re- record in uh, in the studio up in uh, Canal Place, you know, and uh, Juvie was working a little job at a restaurant and, you know, y'all picked him up from the bus stop on Canal Street and brought him over to the studio uh, with him and, and introduced him to Baby. And it was history from there, you know. People don't know that story, but, I mean, if you talk to Juvie, he'll let you know how it went, how he met them. Yeah, same with Kev so. Daddy, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. BG came along because BG was out the same neighborhood that uh, that his parents was living in. So, you know, he was just like a little cat that knew how to rap, and they would, uh, you know, they eventually brought him in. Yeah, and, and so how how do y'all feel about uh from your point of view? How did y'all feel about um about it? You know, y'all had started that, and then you know, with Master P, he came along and it, it became a hit. Right. Well, I mean, back then, you know, we was young, and we was like trying to figure out. You know, back then, he was like, "Oh man, he bit my shit. He, he did this. He did that." You know. <clears throat> The way I look at it is like, you know, when one artist takes another artist's idea or roll with it or remix it or whatever, you know, I, I, you know, I can be proud of it because I know that's that's my creation or whatever. I'm just like, you know, at the same time, you know, shout a nigga out or something, you know, let a nigga know, you know, acknowledge where it come from or, you know, put put me on the remix or whatever, you know, don't just run with it like you made that up. You know what yeah, I'm saying? For sure. You know, right. I feel like so. Look, do you care to uh, talk about what had transpired between Cash Money and Big Boy? Cause I mean, you know, I was a I was a big fan of both labels, man. And uh, and, you know, we used to we used to talk about this a lot at school. You know what I'm saying? Wait, run that question back one more time. Yeah. The uh, what it went down between Cash Money and Big Boy, Big Boy Records. Yeah. It was it was more of an ego thing, man. You know, both guys were like, you know, big timers in the streets. You know, big boy and uh, baby was still kind of, and you know, they both had the biggest company, the two biggest companies in in the city. You know, of course, right. our company came first, and then they came along, but they had just as much success. And yeah, you know, yeah. those two, the heads wasn't rappers, so they kind of like used to you know, sick the rappers on each other, you know what I'm saying? And that's kinda like how it came, uh, about what the uh the battle rapping between UNLV and Importance of Crime and UNLV and Mystical, you know. Both both of those acts, you know, Importance in Crime and Mystical, uh, initially tried to be tried to get signed to cash money and for whatever reason, uh, Baby and Slim didn't sign them and they eventually got signed to uh Big Boy and you know, from that, you know, I guess he put him up to, you know, diss us or whatever, and that's how it started, you know. It never really, you know, we both really, both act on this side and our side, kind of like we had batteries in our back, you know, remote being remote control, you know, by the, the heads, because we never really personally had anything against each other, you know, personally, but it was like, you know, baby, we like, all right, we're going to do a song, go at them. And then on their side, they were like, y'all going to do a song, go at UNLV. You know, and, and it started yeah. like that. Right. 
Yeah, cuz. Oh. But yeah, what? Uh, so partners in crime. What? 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 Was did did y'all ever uh want to work with any of those guys from the other labels, like from uh from Big Boy and No Limit? Even when all that was um, going on, was y'all like, man, you know, I wish I could work with this cat, or I wish yeah. I could work with C Murder, you know? Yeah, actually, C Murder is a real good friend of mine to this day. You know, maybe a year or two ago, uh, you know, I, he was having some financial problems, and I did a uh, benefit concert for him out in Baton Rouge. You know, and I, um, you know, I, I still get a chance to talk to him and communicate with him from time to time. Not too often, but, you know, like I said, he's a real good friend of mine. He came through on some different occasions and uh, blessed me with his presence in a, a couple of music videos. And I went back and blessed him with some verses on a couple of songs or whatever. He dropped a book. I was there for him with his book signing and, and stuff like that. You know, so me and him always had a pretty good relationship and uh also Soldier Slim, you know. That was yeah. a, a friendship yeah. and a relationship that we had before he went to No Limit. So, you know, we all out the same area from uptown, so we all hung and, you know, hung out and, you know, did drugs together and and, you know, just go to the clubs together or whatever, you know. So we were friends before his his situation with No Limit and our situation with Cash Money. So of course, after we both was established at our own labels, we eventually, as far as us and Soldier Slim, you know, being Soldier Slim, we eventually um, got together and did a song on the Mac Mills Calio album, which is called uh, Come Up Moves. Right. Cool. cool. Yeah, because uh, with C. Murder, man, I think I know that book you're talking about is the one that's called Death Around the Corner. Yeah, 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 cause yeah, cause that book there, that's that's what actually uh, snowballed it for me, man. Because you know I was off and on with my reading at first, but then I came across that book there when I was up in Books of Million. I'm like, man, let me go ahead and check this out. And uh, right after that, man, it just snowballed from me. So you know, it's like right. uh, see murders death around the corner. That's what really made me up my ante and read, man. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, it was, man. It was. So, uh, when did things start to change between y'all and Cash Money for y'all to to, to lead the label? And then um, you know, right after that, it once the uh, it was like the more money that was beginning to be made, uh. And as we got older and, you know, uh, affiliate ourselves with more people in the business, we began to learn that we wasn't getting what we were supposed to be getting. And we was old enough to see, you know, what's being accumulated, you know. Hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars are starting to be made now. It's not no pennies no more. You know, a lot of money is starting to be made, you know, and, you know, houses and Mercedes and shit starting to pop up, you know, so we like, we want a piece of that too. And, yeah. you know, as I said, we, we from the streets, we from the hood, so we have that rebellious frame of mind in us already. So we like, you know, you, we we talking fight words and like, fuck this, we want ours, you know what I'm saying? It's just not about paperwork and getting on the internet and all this shit. We really like, like, you know, in the streets with it, you know, and that's how we treated it, like, you gonna give me meat, oh, you know, put yeah. your hands up, you know what I'm saying? 
So how many units did Uptown for Life sell? Uh, it's certified platinum. Wow. Uptown dope. for Life certified platinum, and, and that's um, independently. And it, it continued to be distributed after they got the deal, you know. Yeah. And that played, that, that played a big part in um the lawsuit uh, that we had against them because they continued to sell it. And actual, the, actually, the numbers from Uptown for Life and BG's last album was what they took over to uh, Wendy Day took that over to Universal, and that's where they structured the deal around those numbers right there from those two albums. Yeah, wow. Uh, but yeah. we already had got released like maybe six months before they did it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So you know, but uh, so when when all that was going on, was the uh, the deal being negotiated with Universal then? Y'all was negotiating to get off the label. Yeah, the same, the same. Like it was like almost simultaneously. We while we negotiating to get out of the contract, they were negotiating to uh, structure their deal with our numbers. But like I was saying, our lack of knowing the business played a big part in that. You know, at the same time, you know what I'm saying? Because we right. didn't know the business like we know it now. And, right. But you know, later on down the line, we became very good friends with Miss Wendy. Wendy Day, who uh, actually took the project, took the company over to Universal, and she actually explained to us and sat us down and talked to us about, you know, how they got the deal and, you know, what albums they used to get the deal because of the numbers. Wow, okay. Man. So, and I remember you had came out with a solo project straight from the ramp. Uh, Right, straight from the ramp was dropped on cash money. Yeah, so you 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 so you had separate contracts with Cash Money to it as part of the group nah. flow artists. Nah, okay, that was a no. It was all just dropped the same way, you know. <clears throat> you just would drop a project, drop a project. Right. You know, we never renegotiated any contracts or you know different clauses because it's a different project. We just would continuously drop music and sell records, and you know, to be honest with you, like I said, the the cars and the houses and the, the gifts and this and that will keep us quiet. And, and, you know, like I said, just the lack of business is really to blame. You know, <clears throat> you really yeah, can't right. blame. I mean, you can, but you can't. You know, you can't blame a person who's in a position, you know, who's running a business to capitalize on whatever they could capitalize on. You know, right. you know, even though it, it's not good business to, to just do it the right way and give a person what they earn, you know, you really have to fault yourself when you don't know the business to where if you can identify when somebody is not being fair to you or you're not getting what you're supposed to get, you should be able to, um, you know, you should be able to go in and, and make things right. So you really have to fault yourself because that's what anybody with business is almost like if, the business is very dirty. If a motherfucker can get over on you, they're going to do it. Yeah, you know what I'm uh, yeah, because, you know, I had a situation that happened to me, you know, during my early days when I was trying to get in the rap game. Uh, I remember, you know, it, it just took one incident, and that, that's what it, uh, changed everything for me, you know, because I was, I was writing lyrics, but I had only recorded a couple of songs, and uh, this guy from Lake Charles, yeah, it came down and uh, you know, he he was juicing me up. Yeah, I'm a manager. I could get you this. I could get you that. How many songs you got? I'm like, 
I don't have no songs on, but I got my songs at home, but I got a couple of them that's written. And he said, well, let me see the written lyrics. So I had gave him the written lyrics, and he had gave me this card. And uh, the next week, I'm calling the number on the card, and I wasn't getting no answer. And kind of right. find out this guy this guy had got arrested for check forgery. <laughs> you know what wow. I'm saying? And so I was like, you know, but, you know, what about my song? You know, I was out of gate this dude, my song, and, and he done got arrested. I don't know where my song ended up. And so right after that, I picked up that book, All You Need to Know About the Music Business with Donald Passman, and I had been educating myself ever since. But like I said, it just right. takes that one incident. It just takes one, you know, it just takes that one incident to happen. That man. put you on uh, point. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So uh, after y'all had left Cash Money, was y'all looking for any other labels to get on, or y'all just strictly wanted to go independent? Yeah, it, it was like once people found out we left, it was like a a war. Like everybody wanted a piece of us, and you know, and and I think that played a major part of like what else jumping from label to label because we went about three or four different labels after that. You know, everybody would think that they can just put a record out on UNLV and everybody who sold drugs and made money and was trying to clean their money up, you know, wanted to be a a record company. You know, most of them didn't know shit about uh, putting out records. You know, in their eyes, all they can see is, okay, I got UNLV. That's all I need. You know, I put out a record on UNLV. I'm going to get rich like these guys got rich. Not knowing that you have to have radio connections and street connections and, you know, radio reps and, you know, street reps and, you know, all this different kind of elements that go along with the game. All they all they seen was dollar signs in the eyes. They figured out they put a record out on UNLV, everything just gonna magically fall out the sky, you know, not knowing nothing about the record business. And, you know, us just eager to have our voice to continue to be heard, we would take chances and give people chances that really didn't deserve it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But we wasn't financially able to do it ourselves, so we would, like, you know, give cats who, you know, just have a little change and want to do this and want to do that. We would let them know, you know, the different patterns and routes that we took dealing with cash money on what to do or whatever, and, you know, we would figure it would work like that. But most most cats did this was looking for like a quick flip almost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. So did y'all drop albums on these other labels? Did we what? Did y'all get to drop albums on the other labels? Yeah, we dropped uh we dropped the album on a label called Hard Times. Uh then I I dropped another solo on Take Four Records. You know, they they pretty much was established label, but they were mostly have bounce artists and, you know, different shit like that. You know, they had a lot of gay rappers on the, um, on the label also. And it, so the, the fit between me and that label didn't really hit it off too well because nobody was expecting to, to see me or hear me, you know, on that label. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it really didn't work out over there. Right, okay. Yeah, so uh, what's your take on the music industry today versus the way it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago? Um, well, the big difference is, you know, selling physical copies is definitely like 
the you, that's on the back burner right now. And albums are rarely being recorded these days. Most people, um, they, they're doing singles and running with the singles, you know, the, the quick singles. And also the, the you know, as far as rhyming, you know, it's, it's almost like it's only a hand few. I mean, you know, at one point, you know, to rhyme and put songs together with the metaphors or whatever, storytelling, that was the thing to do. It's almost like, you know, it's it's more than veered away from really rhyming to like gimmick songs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, you know, yeah. most most songs these days are like a gimmick. You know, a dance or some kind of gimmick. You still have a few rappers that put it down, and you know, like with J. Cole's and Kendrick Lamar's and shit like that. You know, those 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 cats are sticking to you know where rap really come from. But I'm also like this, you know. You can't really fault what's going on because at the same time, these same cats that got the gimmick songs and the dance songs, <clears throat> you know, they're getting a chance to, you know, earn their way out of poverty, out of the hood, and provide for their family and, and for their kids. So yeah. if if that can be done, then that's fine, you know. You know, more power to them. That, you know, that's, that's a way out of the hood, you know. So... I applaud that, and I'm like this. If you can't adjust to what's going on, then you're going to get left behind. You yeah, know, you right. have to be able to adjust what's going on right now. Uh, if not, you definitely will get left behind. So I'm all for it. You know, like I, I, hear, the, I hear the word mumble rap, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if it's making money and allowing guys to provide for their family, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, you you better be able to put you a mumble rap song out, or you're gonna get left behind if that's what they're buying, and that's what if that's what the video channels are, are displaying, and that's what the radio's playing. If you want to be on the video channels, you want to, uh, you know, uh, be heard on radio or whatever, you have to learn how to adjust and do what's going on, but still remain who you are. But you still have to, you know what I'm saying? Be able to give the people what they want to hear. You know, no matter how much right. you complain, if you're not delivering what they want to hear, then you won't be heard. Right. All right. right. So, well, what's, what's your take on, uh, on on Cash Money? You know, knowing that y'all laid the blueprint and then you've seen it evolve over the years to what it's become now. Um, I mean, I applaud them. It took, because I watched, you know, I was a part of um, something that came from absolutely nothing. And, I mean, it's global. It's worldwide. It's a, you know, you can't speak about hip-hop and rap without mentioning those guys' names. And I knew yeah. that, you know, I was a part of that from the beginning. So I'm proud of that part. And, you know, just to see a black man that, that you know, start take something so small and make it into something so large, you know, that, that means a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot. So I'm I'm definitely proud of them. You know, I'm not bitter about nothing that went on in the past. It just taught me to uh, be more on point on the business side. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I applaud them. Right. That's what's up. All right. Well, you got something you want to ask me? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, when Yellow Boy passed, 
how did that affect the group's chemistry and, and, and like, uh, going forward? I mean, did that change the dynamics of the lyrics or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely changed it. But, like I said, I told you before, we started out as just us two. Yeah. And, yeah, and then we added them in. So, you know, we had definitely um, worked out a chemistry to where, like, when we were in the studio, we would know, you know, it just was magic between the three of us. So yeah. once he passed, you know, it definitely changed the dynamics of how we did things or whatever. So we just had to readjust to, to it being me and him again, you know. But it All it right. definitely affected us because each each member brought something different to yeah. the group. You know, you know, I was known for the lyrics. Yeah, I was yeah. known for it to be a, a, a entertainer stage-wise. And Yellow was like the create, creative one. You know, he would create different little trends and dances and stuff like that that would right. come along with his music and with his lyrics. So we all had that different element that we, you know, added to the group. So, you know, once he passed, that element was taken away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, what about, like, songs, like, when you guys still perform? Do you ever play the ones with Yellow Boy, and do you let them first play, or do you guys uh, rap we come together. Rap we come together and rap, and rap his verse. Most yeah, of the time, that's cool. You know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, a lot of times we will edit his verse out, but if it's something that's popular, like you know, to this day, like we can't do a concert and not perform "Drag Him in the River," we probably have to get yeah. or something if we do that. Yeah. You know that? <laughs> yeah. So that's we'll come stuff. together and, and do his verse together. You know, go in and out on it. Or that's what's up. Right. Yeah. So, uh, what what was your take on Lil Wayne when you first first saw him, man? Um, I think he was eight eight years old, and his uh his very first time in a professional recording studio was him, myself, and BG um on Damn. BG on a um, album True Story, and um uh, his very first song was a song that was recorded between uh, me, BG, and uh, Wayne. And, uh, you know, he did good. He did good. And, you know, he just went forward from there. So that was, like, my first time um, really, 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 you know, fucking with him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. So what you got going on nowadays, man, and where can the people reach it? Um, Right now, um, I formed a label with a partner of mine called Thumbcock Records. Thumbcock Entertainment, I'm sorry. And um, um, you know, I'm dropping a a solo album, uh, Take Nine solo album. I'm also gonna drop a joint album with my partner. It's called Bloody City. That's gonna drop first. Okay. And then uh, the Take Nine solo album is gonna drop. Then uh, my partner's album gonna drop. His name is Shooter. Um, Ooh. after that we're gonna drop this artist called Hood. Well, you'll get a chance to hear all of those guys on this Bloody City, uh, Bloody Sunday album. Okay. And then uh, we're going to drop a, a, a UNLV Greatest Hits, Volume 3. Volume 1 was dropped by Cash Money. Volume 2 was dropped. I mean, yeah. So this is the third um, Greatest Hits, which is crazy yeah. because, you know, we, we have enough material and catalog to maybe go to Volume 10. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, that that's what's coming up right now. And, uh you can also reach me on um, my Facebook uh, page at 
Tech UNLV Uptown. Um, my email address is manualreginald43 at gmail.com, M-A-N-U-E-L-R-E-G-I-N-A-L-D 43 at gmail.com. So if anybody out there that's listening want to send, send me something, to, uh, you know, we do a feature or whatever. I'm not going to try to hit you across the head, but I, I got to eat. You know what I'm yep. saying? You can, <laughs> yep. you, can, you can send me something at that email address. And um, my Instagram is the same, check UNLV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can, um, and we're doing shows, you know, being blessed to still be able to travel and, and um, perform. We got something coming up November 5th and last year at, uh, it's, uh, a reunion for UL College. It's uh, UNLV and Zero. And um, mm. November the 11th is in New Orleans at a, a club called the Circle Bar. And November 19th is at Armstrong Park. It's a, a funk festival that we're part of. We're actually going to be performing with a live band. You know, That's we dope. haven't done that yeah. in, a, in a long time, so I'm looking forward to that. You know? That's dope, yeah. Man, that's what's up. And, and one more thing before we go out, man. Y'all, y'all was able to secure y'all masters when y'all got out the contract, right? Yes, sir. That's how we able okay. to drop those uh, greatest hits right now. We own okay. all our music. So that's look, awesome. was y'all able? Was y'all able to able to? Was y'all? Did y'all ever think to uh, re-release Six and Baron and Uptown for Life? No, we 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 thought about it, but um, we we figured that it would probably be um in the best interest to just go with the uh the greatest hits or whatever, you know. Okay, yeah. I don't know, but that sounds like, like a good idea. I don't know, man. We might yeah. be able to pull that one off. You know? Yeah, because I'm telling you, you know, I like a, a whole core music collector like myself. I'll snatch that up quick, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, real talk. That might not be a bad idea, bro. Yeah. All right, yeah, no. And then we have it, everybody. Another hip hop another hip hop backstory told by a hip hop legend. If it was told here at Graffiti Talk Radio first, if we don't talk about it it's because it didn't happen yet. So peace and may hip hop live forever. Man, I wanna say shout out to everybody at Graffiti Radio. You know, shout out to Lil Yacht, shout out to Thumbcocker, Shooter Hood, you know, Boney Solo. You know, y'all be on the lookout for that bloody Sunday. It's coming, it's going to hit hard. That's what's up.